0: We read in the Gospels where Jesus began to speak to the people, the Jewish people, in parables. And I want to talk about today exactly why did Jesus speak to the people in parables. So first of all, let me tell you what a parable is. A parable is an illustration from everyday life, a comparison of of something people do on a normal basis, an illustration from everyday life that has a spiritual meaning or a spiritual context now in the parable every item or everything in the parable may not have a a spiritual indication that is this means this and this means that but the general meaning of a parable uh, uh or should i say it this way a parable as a whole has a general meaning or understanding to the parable That spiritual point that Jesus is trying to make. But let's go back to the question. Why is it that Jesus spoke in parables to the people in the first place? Well, first of all, this was not Jesus's normal mode of talking, teaching the people. When we go to what some some refer to as. The Mount Olivet Discourse, okay? The Mount Olivet Discourse. Matthew chapters 5 through 7. We will see that in Matthew chapter 7 that when Jesus spoke to the people, when he concluded his teaching to the people concerning what we call the (laughs) Mount Olivet Discourse, the people understood Jesus to be clearly. Notice it says, and I'm going to go here, at 7 and 28, when Jesus had finished these words, that is speaking to the people, chapters five through seven, the teaching, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Notice what it says, at his teaching. So here, clearly Jesus is not speaking in parables, but he is speaking words that people clearly understand what the meaning is. And this is significantly different from the parables in the parable, you, the people didn't know what they meant. And there were even times the disciples, apostles themselves had no idea what the parables meant. But let me finish and go on to verse 29 for he was teaching them as one having authority and as, and not as their scribes. So the usual teachers of the Jewish people and said, keep that part in mind, the Jewish people, Were the Pharisees that the group of the Pharisees, the scribes were a part of this particular category of Pharisees. And so what 29 is saying to us is, uh, which is, is letting us know how the Pharisees would teach, which is whenever a Pharisee would teach, he would always reference another Pharisee. That is, he would say this particular person said this and this particular person said that. And so they said the difference that Jesus is teaching was, was that he, Jesus didn't quote anybody. Jesus spoke of himself and from himself. So therefore he spoke as one having his own authority. He didn't need the authority of another rabbi to be quoted so that you can believe what he was saying here. And that's the whole point. But nevertheless, the clear issue is in the beginning, Jesus spoke to them. He taught them, taught them. When I say them, I mean the people as well as the scribes and Pharisees as well in language that was clear and easy to understand. He did not speak to the people in parables. OK. With that said, you also have to understand the miracles and and. The preferable word is sign. It comes from the Greek word semion. Same, which means sign, sometimes understood as miracles, marvelous works. You have to understand why Jesus did the particular sign and miracles that he did. And it was simply not for the purpose, and, and this is where we often get it confused because we leave the fact that the scriptures were written in the first century in a Jewish first century mindset, so to speak, that, that was the world, that was the world that Jesus came in. He came into a first century Jewish world, okay? Of course, we understand with Roman occupation and we also understand the Greek influences upon Jewish society as well as Aramaic in, uh, influences from Babylon. But nevertheless, it was a first century Jewish influence. So when Jesus came concerning the signs and miracles, the reason why he did those things were not simply to make people feel better, not simply to heal people. But all of these things, which is the reason why the word Simeon is also translated "sign." Sign. All these things Jesus did was so that the Jewish people would recognize that the Messiah of Israel, one who was foretold by the law and the prophets, the law, the law of Moses, the first five books and the prophets of the Jewish people, speaking that a a Messiah would come one day and that they should believe in this Messiah and this Messiah would also be king. Son of David. We also see that uh, in 2nd Samuel chapter 7. But nevertheless, the point is, Jesus performed the miracles, signs that he did in order to get the Jewish people, Israel, to make a decision. Will you receive Jesus as the Messiah, King of Israel? Because if you receive him as Messiah, you're going to crown him King of Israel of the Jews, king of Israel, okay? So that's why he did all of those particular miracles. And the Jewish people believed in three particular unique miracles that only the Messiah could do. The first would be open the eyes of one who was born blind. You see that in the book of John. And then you will see Jesus, the, only the Messiah could cleanse a Jewish leper. Notice I said Jewish. There were lepers who were cleansed, but the only lepers who were cleansed in Scripture was Naaman, who is a Gentile, and Miriam, the sister of Moses, who was healed by God himself. So no other Jewish man, prophet or otherwise, ever healed another Jewish person. So they believed that when the Messiah would get here, he would be able to heal leprosy. Okay, and so that's why we see certain interactions with Jesus concerning these particular miracles. And the third miracle is casting out a dumb demon. Now, what a dumb demon is, is simply a demon who has possessed a a person, an individual, and the demon has taken control over the person's vocal cords and will not allow the person to speak, therefore making the person whom the demon is inhabiting, Unable to speak. Okay, so the Jews, let me talk about how they would cast out devils. They would they would confront the individual with the demon, ask the demon what his name was. Once they got the demon's name, they would then exercise authority over the demon by the use of the demon's name to cast him out. Okay, so the person had to be able to speak. So if you came to an individual who was demon possessed and could not speak, you can't get the demon's name. And so therefore, Jews, Jewish exorcists, they could never cast them out. They believed that when the Messiah would come, he would have the power to cast the demons out. And these three particular instances open the eyes of one blind, one who was born blind, healing lepers, and casting out mute, dumb demons only the Messiah could do. And all of these miracles are recorded in scripture that Jesus did perform these miracles. And therefore, alongside of all of these miracles slash signs that Jesus did, especially the messianic ones that I just told you about, these things were done by the Lord to be proof beyond any reason of a doubt that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, okay? But we know, despite all of these things, the rulers and leaders of the people rejected Jesus' Messiahship, and they encouraged the people, they led the people to do the same in that. But nevertheless, I'm answering the question, why did Jesus speak in parables? It is very much related to everything that I just told you. So, as Jesus came, Performing all of these signs to prove that indeed he is the Messiah. We come to a particular sign and that is casting out the dumb demon in Matthew 12 In Matthew 12. So now let's just quickly look at Matthew 12 and we're going to go to the instance of casting out this demon. and, And and I'll explain the whole issue of why he spoke in the parables. 12 It starts at verse 22. Now, I'm not going to go through all of this whole issue, but I'm going to show you the relationship to why Jesus spoke in parables. And it is directly related to this particular instance. Then a demon possessed man. I'm in verse 22 who was blind and mute. Notice he was blind. The demon caused the man to be blind and mute, unable to speak was brought to Jesus and Jesus and he healed him so that the mute man both spoke and saw. So notice Jesus cast out the demon. The demon was preventing the man to see and speak. Remember what we said about only Messiah could cast out such a demon. Jesus did it easily and the man was healed. Verse number 23. Notice the reaction and the words of the Jewish people. All the crowds were amazed. Jesus had been doing many miracles at this time. He's been doing healing all over the place. But this particular one caught the people's. uh, uh, um, I wouldn't say so much as by surprise, but it made them really take notice of Jesus. They were amazed and were saying, notice what they said. This man cannot be the son of David, can he? So now the son of David is nothing more than a messianic title for the messiah. Because we know again, second Samuel chapter seven, that the Messiah would be the son of David. And so by calling Jesus, they were asking, is it possible that this Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David? They began to muse, um, muse among themselves and question their leaders. Is this the, the Messiah? Why? Because you Pharisees, And you scribes, you taught us that only the Messiah will be able to cast the demon out of a man who cannot speak. And guess what? Jesus just did that. So is Jesus the Messiah we've been waiting on? And that's what they were asking their leaders. And so notice verse number 24, how the leaders, the Pharisees replied to this. When the Pharisees heard this, they said This man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So in other words, the Pharisees began to say that Jesus was enabled to cast out this kind. Notice what I said. This kind, mute the demon that makes you mute, of demon through the prince of demons. In other words, they were accusing Jesus of being demon possessed himself. And this is what caused the big problem. It was at this time that the raft actually began, the rift actually began. But but let me continue to explain what's going on. So we know that Jesus rebuked them for their illogic. Number one, Satan does not tear down his own house. And number two, he says, if I cast demons out with the finger of God, then who do your sons cast them out? He said, in other words, your Jewish people are also casting them out. Are they casting them out by virtue of demons too? So he said it was illogical to think that Jesus himself was demon possessed and therefore this gave him the power to cast out demons. And this is what led to what is called the unpardonable sin, blasphemy, of the Holy Spirit and so let me go through this particular text because I got a feeling many don't understand exactly what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because some people think that you can actually do it today that you can actually blaspheme today but that's not the case you have to look at the text so let's look at the text starts at verse number 30 when Jesus the whole issue so I'm slowing it down the whole issue is the rejection of Jesus' messiahship. They re- remember they said, "Can he be the son of David?" The Pharisees came up with that ridiculous answer, calling Jesus demon possessed, and so Jesus is now setting setting the stage and saying, "You're going to either accept me as the Messiah or you're going to reject me." However, however, we have reached a, a crucial stage in that because earlier. Jesus has been performing sign after sign. That means miracle after miracles, all kinds to get the nation to make a decision that he was the Messiah and to accept him, receive him. And then Jesus would have been crowned as king. Okay, but nevertheless, he did. He he did so many miracles in their sight and they still rejected him. So we are at a particular point. But back to verse number 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And so Jesus simply said, You're on my side or you're not on my side. You either believe in me that I am the Messiah or you do not. But now let's talk about the point of no return. Watch this 31. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Okay, so what Jesus, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit simply is this. According to the text, you must have Jesus present doing signs, doing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. But instead of you saying that Jesus did this by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're saying that he did it. Remember what they said? He was demon possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of the demon. So you are attributing a work, the miracles of Jesus to the work of demon demon spirits. All right. So that's how you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. The reason why this cannot happen today is Jesus is no longer present with us or uh, 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 doing these particular miracles by the Holy Spirit. So it is impossible for such blasphemy to take place. And notice what Jesus said. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the one sin you cannot be forgiven of, period, ever. You can always be forgiven of every sin except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now. Let me make you understand in full what was going on. Remember, Jesus is presenting himself to the Jewish people as the Messiah. He's doing all of these miracles to help them to come to a decision, accept him as the Messiah. But instead, being led by the leaders, they say he is demon possessed, even though Jesus is present with them in the power of the Holy Spirit doing all of these signs and wonders. So another thing that we have to understand about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is it is not an individual sin, but a national sin. What do I mean by that? An individual sin is something that we commit ourselves. Say friends, if I lie, if I lie, if I steal, or if I fornicate, that's an individual sin. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not the same. It is a national sin. It is a national sin that only Israel can commit. So, therefore, only the nation of Israel who was present at the time that Jesus, being empowered with the Holy Spirit, doing all of these signs so that they can make a choice whether he was the Messiah, choose him as Messiah. Only the nation of Israel in Jesus's day could commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be done by individuals, churches or nations today. It is a one time sin and it is because of that sin. Now we're moving into the parable issue. It is because of that issue that Jesus began to speak Remember, at first he would always speak to them in uh, teachings that they understood, Matthew chapters five through seven. And notice I keep quoting Matthew. The reason why Matthew is the one to be quoted in this sense is because Matthew, of all the Gospel writers, is, Matthew is trying to trace, that's his job, he is tracing that the that how the, the Jewish people's rejection of Jesus led to the destruction of 70 AD. That's one of the whole primary issues, themes that Matthew is dealing with in his gospel. How Jesus came to present himself as Messiah of the Jews, was rejected by the Jews, which led to the destruction of the Jewish people and their being scattered all over the world. Even unto this day, Jews are still scattered in the world. Okay. But let's get back to the whole issue. The principle about why does he speak in, um, parables? So let me move on. We're still going to stay in chapter 12. Notice verse number 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, remember they just said Jesus had a demon and that's why he was able to cast out the demon. But some of the scribes and Pharisees came and said to him, teacher, We wanna see a sign from you. Note, he just gave them a sign. Casting out the mute demon was a sign. According to them, a sign that he was the Messiah. Now they're asking Jesus for another sign as if he hadn't been doing that the whole time. But they don't believe in him. Notice the Pharisees and scribes. These are the leaders of the people. And notice the response of Jesus now. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation. Notice. OK, evil and adulterous mean wicked and God rejecting generation. Jesus is pointing to that particular generation. And you need to understand that you got to over and over and over. Get that part in your head. He keeps referencing those people, those Jews who were alive, whom Jesus did all those miracles in front of. That generation. But notice what he says. Craze for a sign and yet no sign will be given to it. But the sign of Jonah, the prophet. And I'm not going to read all the rest of it. But the whole point is the sign. Jesus says, notice, I have been giving you signs over and over and over. I just even gave you a sign. And you know what? You said I had a demon from this point forward. I will give you no other signs except the sign of Jonah. Now, the sign of Jonah is simply the sign of resurrection. We see that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and there was a big stir about that. And when Jesus himself was raised from the dead and there was, of course, a big uh, stir and lie about that from the Jewish leaders. But nevertheless, those were the signs of Jonah, the sign of Resurrection. And now Jesus continued to talk as he upbraids these leaders because of their rejection of him. And he talks about how that people that had lesser light, that lesser light means people in whom God uh, didn't do as much for them to get them to repent but nevertheless, they repented. So Jesus brings up things about the men of Nineveh. These were also Gentiles. Okay. And Jonah did not do any miracles. Jonah just went through the town, went through the city of Nineveh saying that within, what was it? Three days or 40 days that God would destroy Nineveh. Jonah performed no miracles, but nevertheless, the Ninevites Did what? They repented. And also the queen of the south. He talked about that when she saw the glory and wonder of Solomon. And nevertheless, it brought about a change in her. But the point is, these Gentiles, these other people had lesser light. They didn't have the Messiah performing miracles and wonders and signs and all of these, but yet they repented. And Jesus's point was, but you had them, I did them in front of you, I did them, and yet out of all I did, you reject me still. And this is what brought the nation to a point of no return with Jesus. All right. So so let me just simply go here. I know I'm talking about parables, but since I dealt with the point of no return, let me explain what that literally means. The point of no return means from this point forward, the nation will note Jesus being the Messiah, presenting himself as the Messiah, the king of the Jews, and therefore giving the Jewish nation nation. Notice I said that nation not individuals, Jewish individuals could continue to receive Jesus as Messiah, but the nation as a whole, whereby Jesus would be the Messiah of the Jews and therefore crowned King of the Jews. This was no longer available. Jesus says, You've reached a point of no return. I will no longer offer the Messiahship, my Messiahship to you. I am no longer. Your king. And you will see that when you start seeing certain things in scripture, when Jesus would say at first, Jesus would allow people to tell other people about his Messiahship. And then you see now. And I don't want to get into all of that. Now, when Jesus began to tell people, go and tell no one when Jesus would do a miracle. And then when people would come to Jesus, say, for instance, the Greek Syrophoenician woman on the predica- on a predication that Jesus is Messiah, King of the Jews, Jesus would ignore that. So if you came to Jesus seeking his help, seeking um, a healing, a miracle of some sort on the basis that he was the Messiah after they called him the uh, one possessed with the demon, Jesus would no longer give you that request. But if you came to him in personal faith and notice, since I, since I said the statement of personal faith, when Jesus would heal before the demon possessed issue, before where we are now, Jesus would not even require people to believe that he was Messiah. He wouldn't even require people to have faith. He would just simply see a man at the pool, ask him if he wants to be healed and just heal him. But after this point, Jesus will begin to ask people now, do you believe that I can do this? It was necessary to have faith. So the point that I'm trying to get you guys to see is all the miracles he did was to get the people to make a choice. Do you accept me as the Messiah? When we hit chapter 12, the choice have been made and you're going to see that gradually come as you move throughout the gospel. No, we do not accept you as the Messiah and we believe that you did all of these things through demon possession. And ultimately what will they do? They will hang him on a cross. He is rejected. But now it is here that Jesus removes. They've reached a point of no return. You, I will not be your Messiah anymore. And he even tells, when Peter said, Peter said, who Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living one, right? Son of the living God. What did Jesus say to Peter? Tell no man. See, the, the whole issue of Messiahship is off the table, point of no return. Another thing that the point of no return involves is Judgment, and that's why Jesus was talking, Matthew 23. Woe unto you, this and woe unto you, that. How often has I have I did I desire? I tried to present my messiahship to you, I tried, and in, by presenting my messiahship to you, being king to you, I would have taken, I would have destroyed the Romans, I would have taken care of you, but you were unwilling, you rejected. Behold, I leave your house to you, destroyed. And so that's another thing. Point of no return dealt with the physical death. It was the judgment because the nation, nation, not not individual Jews, some individual Jews will believe in him. But the nation rejected him. And therefore, the judgment of the nation was physical death. You see that in 70 AD when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem. OK. And so that that's what it means with that point of no return. There was no turning back and say, OK, we made a mistake. We'll receive Jesus as our Lord. No, no, no. It, 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 that is off the table now. But nevertheless. So now we see they have called Jesus demon possessed. Then they begin to ask Jesus again for more signs. And Jesus said the time for me giving public signs are over. I will never give you another one except the sign of Jonah, sign of resurrection. Now, going to Matthew 13, and here's where we're gonna hit that point. That day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Large crowds gathered to him. So notice, it's a common thing for Jesus. Sitting in front of large crowds, he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. So they were ready for Jesus to do what he would normally do, begin to teach the people. But verse number three says this, but notice once again, verse number one, I'm sorry, backing up a little bit, that day, what day? The day when the Jewish leaders said that Jesus was demon possessed after he had done what we call that great messianic miracle, healing the mute, mute demon, casting out the mute demon, okay? That particular day, saying that Jesus was demon possessed he also began to teach crowds gathered in front of him, verse number three, and he spoke many things to them in parables. And here's where we start talking about the parable of the sword. But nevertheless, now we are introduced to the first time when Jesus began to teach the people, not in words that were understood, like in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, but he began to speak in hidden ways That's what parables are. They are things spoken of in everyday language that relate to everyday activities that have spiritual meaning. But you have to be able to understand that hidden spiritual meaning. And this is all because the Jewish people rejected Jesus. And this is how Jesus began to deal with the nation as they had reached a point of no return. Judgment is now for the nation, for the nation, not individual Jews, but the nation as a whole. Judgment is imminent. Jesus will not be. They can even change their minds and receive him as Messiah. He will not be Messiah. And all of this is for those the parables that is for those individuals, individuals who have accepted him as Messiah, and we'll see that being indicated with the disciples, Jesus's disciples and the apostles. But those who have accepted him are to have insight, but the nation as a whole are to be kept in darkness. And let us now move to verse number 10. And so the disciples, Jesus's disciples, were wondering, said, this is something new. He's never dealt with it like that so they did what verse number 10 the disciples came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables because jesus had always been teaching them clearly so now jesus gives the answer to why he is speaking in parables jesus answered to them to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So he makes a distinction between the believing, those Jews who have accepted Jesus as Messiah, against over against those Jews, which is basically the majority, and we will see the nation as a whole, who have rejected Jesus as Messiahship. Uh, for whomever shall be given, he shall have an abundance, but I'm going to skip that. 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because the direct, direct reason while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they not do they understand. So now Jesus is beginning to speak in a similar way as to Isaiah, the prophet in chapter six, Isaiah chapter six. This was the call of Isaiah. Now we're gonna talk about that just a little bit, but Jesus is gonna relate to that and then we're gonna go and look directly and see what God was saying to Isaiah in the call and commission of Isaiah. But nevertheless, 14, Matthew 13. (coughs) In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. See the notation? which says you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not, I'm sorry, keep on seeing, but not perceive for what is the, so here's the point. All the things that Jesus is doing and that, in that memory, the whole point of the miracles, the signs, nevertheless, it was still not enough to pierce the hearts of the leaders and the people as a whole, as a nation, to believe that indeed truly Jesus is the Messiah. They kept seeing, still didn't see. They kept hearing, they still didn't hear because Jesus ultimately would be rejected. For the heart, verse number 15, of this people has become dull, with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart and return and would heal them. Now, basically what we have in verses 14 and 15 is almost a pretty much direct quote from Isaiah chapter six. And Jesus says, this applies to me and it deals with the rejection of the Jewish people, despite all of the sign miracles that I have done to prove who I am. They still reject me. Otherwise, had they received me, notice what he said, understand with the heart in return, I would heal them. I would be their Messiah. I would be their King. And I would deliver them from Roman oppression, set up the kingdom of the Messiah and all of that stuff. And that's what, that's what he's saying by that. Okay. But before I finish this particular segment and go to Isaiah to talk about that, let me move to the very near the end of chapter 13 to deal with this issue of parables. Why did Jesus, the whole issue of speaking in parables. Notice what I have been saying to you. He spoke to them in parables um, only at the time when they rejected him by saying he was demon possessed. And it was at that time that the nation of Israel, the, the opportunity for them to receive him as Messiah, for him to be their Messiah and be their king off the table He would no longer be their Messiah. And therefore, reaching this point of no return, physical judgment, death, death of physical judgment was unavoidable. And that's the 70 AD. But finishing this issue of parables. Notice, remember, Jesus continued his public ministry, but he never taught them the way he used to teach them again. Verse number 33. Watch what it says. He spoke another parable to them about the kingdom of heaven, uh, about being living. Verse number 34. Let's go to that one. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. Now, but now watch this part. That's his teaching that he was doing then about the parable of the sower and the kingdom of God. Second part of verse number 34. And he did not speak to them without a parable. Notice. From that point forward, Jesus never taught the people ever again. Every time he spoke, he always spoke in parables from that day forward to all of them. Verse number 35, why? This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. So he would speak in these, Dark sayings, things that, that would not be understood by those who rejected his messiahship, and this would be as a form of judgment. Now, notice what we said earlier. All of this was th- that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. So, now let's turn very quickly, because this video is going pretty long, to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6. Well, we all know about Isaiah's call and commission when God called him to be a prophet. You know, we know the appearance of God when he was uh, uh, Uzziah in the year of King Uzziah, Isaiah had a vision of God. And we saw about the angels, the, the, the burning ones, the seraphims, and they were chanting, holy, holy, holy. And then, you know, uh, Isaiah, woe is me. And then God cleaned him up. He, I dwell of people, unclean lips and things of that nature. God cleaned him up. He prepared him for his mission, for his commission as a prophet. Who shall I send? Who shall go for us? And as he be, was prepared, uh, uh, cleaned up. Uh, for, for his job as a prophet, he needed to understand the primary theme of that commission. And this is what takes place in chapter six. What Jesus himself was quoted when he said the words of Isaiah was fulfilled. Notice verse number nine. He said. Go and tell this people, the Jewish people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Remember Jesus just said that? Keep on looking, but do not understand. So therefore, all the things that Isaiah would do, it would still not change the minds and change the hearts of these people. All of the words, all of the prophesying, all of the preaching that Isaiah would do, still it would not have that necessary effect to bring the people to repentance. Then he says 10. Notice this is the command and I'm going to slow it down. The command of God to Isaiah in how he should carry out his prophetic ministry. So how should I preach? In other words, we normally think preaching and and notice substitute prophesying is done to bring the people back to repentance. That's why you do it, to bring the people back into a relationship with God. But that's not what God said to Isaiah. Notice what he said, verse number 10. God commanded him, render the hearts of this people insensitive. I almost wanted to shout. Not sensitive, sensitive that they would listen, and in listening, they would turn and repent. Uh-uh. Your preaching is to make them insensitive. It hardens them that they won't listen. Make their ears dull. Dull means hard of hearing. I thought you want that means hard of hearing the God's message to repent. Don't you didn't doesn't it seem that you want the message of God, but you want people to hear it and repent? God says, no, that is not your prophetic ministry. Your prophetic ministry is not to bring about repentance. But let me keep going. Make their eyes dim. I thought God want people eyes open. Nope, that was not the ministry of Isaiah. It was not to make their ears open to hear the word of God. Their eyes opened where they could see what God was trying to No, indeed. Notice what God says. No, sir. I don't want them to hear. I don't want them to see. Otherwise they might see with their eye. They might mess up and actually see what you are saying Hear with their ears. Hear the message of God. And guess what? Understand with their hearts. Their hearts be softened by the message, the prophetic message that Isaiah is bringing to them from God. They'll understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Notice what he said, the key word, otherwise God was saying, I don't want them to hear. I don't want them to see. I don't want their hearts to be softened. The very idea, and this is what I'm saying to you guys of the prophetic message. The normal case is that people should listen to the prophets return, repent, and return to God. But this is not what God has wanted. The people have now reached a particular stage now where God does not want them to repent, even though he is sending Isaiah to prophesy, to preach, and to say all of these things. They have now come to a point in God's prophetic mindset that he doesn't want the people to repent And this is what we see happening with Jesus. When they said Jesus was demon possessed, they reached a point of no return when, okay, it is now too late. I don't want them to see. I don't want them to hear. And so therefore, I only preach like Isaiah. Isaiah preached in a way prophesied that they didn't understand. And Jesus himself spoke in a way that they did not understand. He spoke in parables. And this is when the, so let me finish this part. So you guys will really get it. Isaiah was shocked. He was like, who has a ministry like that? Lord, I thought prophets supposed to bring people back to the Lord. So Isaiah was like, well, how long am I to preach? Like this, when people are intentionally not going to be saved. Notice what he said. I'm prophesying in such a way that people's eyes won't be opened. Their ears won't be uh, undulled. Their hearts will not be unhardened. They ain't going to get saved. So how, am I, how long am I to preach like that where people won't get saved? Notice the response of God. Verse 11. Then, the, then I said, Lord, how long? And he, God answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabited, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. I might as well read the rest. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And so, God, was, I'm sick of this watch. And so, God was simply saying. He was answering Isaiah's question. How long shall I preach in such a way that nobody should be saved? God simply said, until I have judged them, until I have destroyed them. And so notice when we go back to the ministry of Jesus and he was preaching in parable. They asked for another sign. He said, it's too late. It's too late. No more signs shall be given to this evil An adulterous generation. No more. And he kept on saying this generation, this generation. And that's when he gets to the whole point that it is now too late for this generation. And I won't be your Messiah. But guess what? You will suffer the judgment of God. That was the great destruction of 70 A.D. by the Romans that destroyed, killed millions of Jews fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah and the prophecy of Jesus. So now we know why he spoke in parables. The parables were a sign of judgment. They indicated that the nation rejected him as Messiah. So therefore that light that they once had, the teaching light, he took it away because of their own rejection of all of that he had done the signs and miracles, though he had done so many things, miracles before them, yet they did not believe him. And now we understand why Jesus spoke in parables. Catch you next time.